All right. Well, I want to welcome you to River Church this Sunday morning in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we're ministering on, for the third time, on the advantage of a crisis. So I want to appreciate you for coming in and tuning in with us this morning. Uh, I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles to John, the book of John, chapter 16. Praise God. It's good to have the Word. Why? You can't live without the Word. People say, well, I am living without the Word. No, you're not. You're just a shell. There's nothing on the inside without the Word. We've been looking at a crisis, the advantage of a crisis. And we looked at the definition uh, the last two Sundays. Let's go over it real quick. The definition of a crisis. This is out of the dictionary. This isn't scriptural. Just out of the dictionary. Uh, the definition of a crisis, number one, is a, a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. Have you all ever been in crisis? Would that describe any part of your life that says uh, intense difficulty, trouble, or danger? I certainly have. The point of this teaching, the point of the Word of God is to keep us out of crisis. But we all have history. Crisis is also known as a situation that has reached a critical phase. Here it comes. Here it comes. Wait for it. Here it comes. And suddenly it blows you up. Thirdly, I looked in a definition of for crisis was a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. So it comes to a head, doesn't it? And where there's no, there's no coasting, it's come to a turn. You've got to go left or right. You've got to go up or down. It has reached the crisis mode. Now, as I just said, crisis in itself, uh, tribulation, excuse me, is not a crisis. Well, let's look in this verse here and find out what tribulation is. Verse 33, these things I have spoken unto you that, you, that in me, say in me. In me, in Jesus, in Jesus, these things I have spoken unto you. Why did you speak them, Lord Jesus? That in me you might have peace. He's spoken things unto you and me so that we will have peace. Circumstances, even the best of circumstances, don't necessarily bring peace. And on the other hand, just because there's a storm wailing around your little boat that's out in the middle of the sea, doesn't mean that you're losing it. Peter walked on the water in a stormy time. The other boys were petrified. The 11 that stayed in the boat, they're like, we're not having any of this until we see how it turns out. Well, if you wait until you see how it turns out, there's no reward for that. Monkey see, monkey do. I don't know if I can say that, but anyway. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And now here's the fact. Here's the truth. Here's the revelation. In the world... We are in the world. We're just not of the world. But we are in the world. So this applies to us because there's a storm on the earth. There's a curse in the earth. There's sin in the earth. There's a devil in the earth. There's a tribulation in the earth. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. And the word there is translated, you'll be tempted with tribulation. But tribulation will come. You, decisions must be made. Your life will come to a place where it's not just cruise control, 70 miles an hour, and we're just busting it down the road. There's a turn coming up ahead, and we will have to make a decision. We've talked several times about uh, a decision that almost all of us have made. When we first started out tithing, where we, we came to the place one week, one month, or one paycheck, 
where there wasn't enough to pay what was demanded, like rent or the power bill, and if, if we paid our tithe. If we cut out 10%, what was left was not enough to pay the bills. Well, that is tribulation. That's, a, that's something that's a, that's a crisis, a decision that has to be made. And if you turn left, it might not work out so well. If you turn right, it might not work out so well in the short term. But long term, we have to get on top of the crisis. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this, how if you don't make the right decision, if you, if you wimp out and pay the rent, well, your rent's paid. Yay, we like our rent paid. We love the power bill to be paid. But you wimped out on the word, and you got to go around the mountain again. A, a, a tribulation, a crisis will present itself. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Ha, <laughs> ha. Be excited. You, I can't be excited about tribulation. Yeah, he said be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Say it with me in second person. He has overcome the world. Say it with me again. He has overcome the world. Well, I'm in the world, but he's overcome the world. So troubles that are tribulation, they're pressure, distress, and trouble, those are the three things that are in tribulation. He has overcome them, and I'm in him, and he's in us, isn't he? So, so if he's overcome the world, I've overcome the world. We could go to 1 John and look at, uh, look at the definition of an overcomer. Uh, when you're born of God, when you're born again, you're an overcomer. You've got the keys to the kingdom. But Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Now, here's my, here's my statement of faith, uh, is that Jesus is the answer to every trouble. He said so. He said, tribulations, they'll look like this, they'll look like that. It'll be a custody suit. It'll be um, somebody done you wrong. It'll be uh, didn't have enough, uh, something that you messed up, sin, tribulation. Tribulation's everywhere, and it looks like a thousand things based on any particular time and whatever situation you're in. But he said, I have overcome all the troubles. Say all the troubles. All the troubles. Well, no, there's a situation I got into. There was no answer. Wrong. You just didn't see it. You just didn't have revelation. You didn't see around the corner, but it was there, and you have to wait for it. Now, we know we get what we expect. We get what we expect. If you're expecting it, honey, it's on its way. You're expecting trouble, it won't be long till you won't be disappointed. But if you're expecting to be delivered from every trouble, there's an answer here. There's a situation in my life, but there's an answer to it. I don't see it. I don't understand how it could be. That's why Ephesians 3 is in there, exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or imagine. It's hidden, not hidden from us, but hidden for us. But it is hidden. And so we have to go to Romans 8 sometimes, and we have to pray in the Holy Ghost because it's hidden. And we pray out the plan. We pray out the answer. We pray out the situation, and suddenly we see it. Suddenly, we don't just give up and throw down and say, ah, God's word's not true. You know, he just does what he wants to when he wants to. It's just not so. In Jesus, and he, that's the answer right here, John 16. In Jesus, there's always, always, always an answer. Now, sometimes people don't, don't wait for it because they said, but I caused it. It's my fault. Well, that would be a big amen to most of us. Yeah? 
trouble. Sometimes trouble comes from mean people or situations that were put into play and we walked into it uh, at our job or in our marriage or whatever. But many times, many times we stumped our toe and we're the reason it hurts. But that's not the end of it. He didn't say stuff that just happens is my responsibility. But if you caused it, well, that's on you. He just said, I've overcome the world. I have taken care of trouble, of pressure, of distress. Well, that pretty much wraps up tribulation. Pressure, trouble, distress. The devil says, I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. We got you handled. All those three things, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has got you handled. That brings pressure, that brings trouble, that brings distress. He said, I've got that handled. So, tribulation is not crisis. It's a temptation to go into crisis. Temptation will not put you under. But if you don't deal with tribulation, point yourself with me and say, hey, you, don't do it. If you don't deal with tribulation, pressure, distress, and trouble, if you don't nip it in the bud, it will come to crisis mode. That's not the end of anything. You can get out of crisis the same way you got in, but you'll have pain. You'll have delay. You'll have trouble. It, it, it will take a price if you don't deal with tribulation, with trouble, distress, and pressure. If you don't deal with it up front and say, ah, this is no big deal, I've been through bigger stuff. I've been through harder stuff or not. But he said he's got this. And you make a stand at the beginning, then like the little acorn that uh, you mow over that little acorn, it sprouts up and it's got a little three-inch top. And you just take your lawnmower and mow the grass and you, you take care of that acorn. But if you wait 20 years to get back to that thing, then you're chopping something. <laughs> You've got a, you, you're pulling on a chainsaw. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly how it is. So there's always an answer to every challenge in every situation. Always. Say it with me. Always. There's always. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have, past tense, overcome the world. The word there is conquered. I have conquered the world. We know Jesus has solved the sin problem. Doesn't mean we don't ever sin, but he solved it. He's not mad at sin. But the wages of sin is death, and so if you sin, if you mess up, if you're willful or accidental and you don't take care of it, you don't confess it out according to 1 John 1, 9, and get it out of your life, get that absolved, get that neutralized, get that out of your life, sin will fester, and it'll come into a place where it will cause you some sort of death in your money, in your relationships, in your reputation, Sin always causes death, doesn't it? So we get rid of sin it's before it can grow, before it can uh, uh, fester. So I wrote this down. I had me a big time yesterday evening writing down about the Lord Jesus. And I'm just like, well, every situation. Well, you can just get some pretty good examples going back through this. There's been some toughies in here. I know you and I think your, our thing is tough. Ah, this is tougher than anybody's ever gone through. Ah, uh, the Bible says that you've not been through anything that's not common to man. That every trouble you've ever seen, everybody that done you wrong and, and uh, you know, ran over you, got into your lane and scraped you up, everything is common to man. There's nothing new and certainly nothing personal to you. Everything that's happened to me has happened to somebody else. 
slandered and, and uh, denied and judged and criticized and persecuted. It's all been going on a long time. So I put down, I went through the word and just got to thinking, didn't, didn't open it, but I just got to thinking that it went back to the Garden of Eden. I said, Jesus is my tree of life. When death is everywhere, he's my tree of life. He's my ram in the thicket. Remember that. Ah, yay. He's my rock of running water. Remember in the, in the wilderness, they were thirsty as they could be. And Moses struck the rock. And uh, scholars say that, uh, I mean spiritual people, not regular scholars, say that not only did the water come out of the rock that day and get everybody tanked up and they got their canteen under the faucet and all that, that the water followed them when they took off from there and became a river out of that rock that followed them wherever they went. Until they got to a stream or a river or another source, isn't Jesus wonderful? He doesn't just bail you today and say, well, I hope, I hope it works for you. He follows us with that. He's my chariot of fire. Remember Elijah. He's my oil that fills every vessel. Remember the widow that got her sons, got in debt. He's my tree that makes the bitter things sweet. Remember Mara, the bitter, the bitter lake threw the tree in. He's the lover of your soul. Song of Solomon, the lover, the lover. He doesn't just love us. He's in love with us. He's the coin in the fish's mouth. That's one of my favorites. I got a bunch of favorites, hallelujah. Uh, he's my bread and fish multiplier. Well, Lord, there's not, not much food here. Even if we went to town and got 200 penny worth, it wouldn't be enough. Fixed it, solved it, just a matter of moments. It was over. He's the finder of the lost coin. Amen. He's the nets on the other side. <laughs> he's the clay in your blind eyes. Wow. He's the fourth man in the fire. <laughs> He's the pathway nobody knew was there. Reference Red Sea. Hallelujah. He's the bear of meal that never empties. Come on, you got a situation with your, your money or your stuff? Ah, He's the barrel of meal that never empties. Read that story. He's the good report. I'm believing God for a good report. Well, you're on the right track. Amen. He's the manna that comes every day. He's the strengthener in your inner man. Strengthened by might in your inner man. He's the starter and the finisher of our faith. I'm talking about Jesus here. The one that's overcome the world. The one that conquered the world. He's the shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. I shall not want. He's the angel that stirs the water for your miracle. Remember that in Acts? The translator, he's the translator. I love this story. Uh, it was uh, Philip that got through baptizing the eunuch, and uh, he was translated. He was immediately, he blinked his eyes, and he was in, well, I don't know the town now, but he, he's your translator to be at the right place at the right time. He's the exceeding abundantly above all you can ask, think, meditate, or imagine. I tell you, he's got it covered. I just, I just mentioned a few. But the, he's all over the Bible, and what he did for them, he'll do for us. Woo-hoo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. Pretty exciting. Well, let's, let's turn to a story we've looked at before in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. 
And let's look at what crisis looks like. I am laying down a foundation for uh, the truth that you can avoid. You can avoid. You can, not, you can never come into crisis again if you'll deal with tribulation. Second Kings, wherever that is, it's back there. Second Kings chapter 6, uh, like Joe Morris would say, that's on page 356 if you have a Bible like mine. Hallelujah. I have a place where I get my Bibles, and they fit in this, this little case here. This is a daytime recover, but I get the same Bible. Yeah. That way, the scriptures are on the same place. You know, bottom right corner, if you can't find your scripture, but you know it's on the bottom right corner of John, you just have to flip 16 chapters until you find it in the bottom right corner. Oh, uh, <laughs> I got me a plan. Second Kings chapter 6. Now, this is a story of trouble. And the reason we're reading this is because you may say, I've had real trouble. I've had trouble like nobody's had. No. This one pretty much puts you in the shade. It says in verse 25, there was a great famine. Great famine. Well, a famine's pretty bad, but a great famine. What is that? In Samaria, and behold, they, and you look in verse 24, and you see the king of Syria, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. Well, four score is 80. Now, I want to remind you, the Lord Jesus was sold for 30. So here we have three men. It was the price of a slave. You have almost three men. And what did you get? You got an ass's head. Now, I want to tell you, it's not real meaty. I don't know much about this, but I've looked at some donkey heads. I'm talking about the, the ones that are in the barn. And uh, ah, you, you can't get till Thursday on that. <laughs> That's if you eat the ears. Whew. And, and the fourth part of a cab, a cab is one and a half liters. So you know what, you look at a two liter Coke and you can figure that out. Of dung, dove's dung. Now, I, I used to think that was bizarre, but I looked it up this time, and it's actually a bitter herb vegetable. They got bad, they got bad naming back there. They're, 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 their vegetables need some help. What's wrong with carrots? What's wrong with lettuce? What's wrong with avocados? Dove's dung? But anyway, five pieces of silver would get you a bitter herb vegetable. I'm going to tell you, times are hard. You, you couldn't even deal with gold back then. Gold, if you can't eat gold, gold wasn't even worth a lot. But if you had a piece of, of, uh, of uh, full moon barbecue on a bun, you're a rich man by the weekend. And, and as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And here's the story about something that you can't even... You've never, you've, never been, you've never driven by trouble like this. He said, if the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, what aileth thee? What is your little trouble? And she answered, this woman said to me, give thy son that we may eat him today. And we'll, we will eat my son tomorrow. The times are hard, y'all. And so we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat your son. And she hath hid her son. Society has come to a new level, a new point. 
And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth upon his flesh. He was in great distress. Then he said, go do and so more unto me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat shall stand by him, stand on him this day. So here we got a crisis in the making and uh, somebody's got to pay. Somebody's, somebody's, whose fault is this? Now, every Christian, every non-Christian has come to this place with their crisis, like, I'm a good person, or at least I'm better than them, I'm better than some, well, there's somebody worse than me, and uh, who, who, whose fault is it I'm in this crisis, this situation? You've got to have a scapegoat, you've got to have somebody to blame, do you all know those people that blame others? It's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's the president right now. The president has done everything. He, he caused the hurricane in the Gulf right now and everything, according to them. So in this case, they said, where is the prophet? Where is Elisha? Doggone, we're going to get him and cut his head off because that'll fix this crisis. And Elisha, Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him, and ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, he said, look for it. See how this son of a murderer has sent to take away mine hand, my head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door, hold him fast at the door, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? So he's saying it's not the king coming, but he'll be right behind whoever he did send. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What sh why shall I wait for the Lord any longer? So it's tough. It's tough. It's tough all around. You can see the crisis rising. It's trouble, tribulation, pressure, distress at this level. But all of a sudden, in just a little bit of time, can you say not long? Do you know it doesn't take long from tribulation, trouble, and distress to be crisis? We're all fooled. We're all deceived. We're all like, ah, this is a little thing. I got a little scratch, got a little cough, got a little uh, this, that, and the other. Ah, we'll just blow it off. Don't need the Lord here. We don't need healing there. And all of a sudden, you're septic in the hospital, and they're saying they got to take your leg off. And it's just, it's just a matter of a few days, then suddenly you're in crisis. Now, that may not be a good example, but I, I've seen it like that, where nothing's happening and suddenly it's all over you. Chapter 7. This is the answer chapter. It's as bad as you've ever heard it. And if we'd make a movie about it, we could put this in color. And Elisha said, now they've just come for his head. They're going to take it off because we've got to have somebody to blame. The king does not want to be blamed for this famine. And so he's going to find somebody that's an authority that's got some, some say-so. Uh, they're going to blame God, and they're going to get God's man. Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Isn't that cool? About this time, tomorrow about this time, I would say the word there would be suddenly. About this time tomorrow, would you all take y'all's prayers answered about this time tomorrow? Would you take your crisis averted about this time tomorrow? Why, well, I'd say you had extra good timing. Things were going your way. About this time tomorrow, 
shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now, I don't know anything about currency rates, but it sounds like it's pretty cheap. Sounds like the best is going for the least. Then a lord, a soldier, on whose hand the king leaned and answered the man of God said, Behold, now get the mock in this, get the mocking. Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine own eyes, but shall not eat thereof. Well, the question we're going to ask here, because this is classic here, a direct opposition to the, Lord, to the, to the situation comes from the devil. He's the blamer. He's the accuser. So as soon as you get in trouble, not only you are just in trouble, then the biters, the, the, the wolves will start nipping at your heels and saying, it's, I know some other things about him. Well, this is not the first time he's done this. And suddenly your trouble is magnified above what it really is because of anything in the past. You all know what I'm talking about. You may have to go back a few years to think about this, but, and that'd be good too. And the bad report, all this stuff here, as they came after Elijah, it's suggesting that God doesn't care. Let me tell you right now, the reason that they're, they're, they're saying that uh, we need to cut down the babies, that the world has got seven plus billion people, is that they, they're saying, here's what is really being said, God, can't, God made an earth that he can't supply everybody that's here. That is the accusation. It's not like, you know, Jacksonville, Florida is the... It used to be. It's the largest square mile city in the United States, if not the world. I don't know. And so they did a study and said if every person on earth, that's seven and a half billion with a B, had three square feet to stand in, the whole world could stand inside Jacksonville, Florida. You go, well, that's a lot of folks. And it is. You, you, you can hardly imagine a million. You cannot imagine a hundred million. A billion is a million million, and then seven and a half of that. It's an unfathomable amount. When they say, well, we sent seven billion over here to Iraq or to Ethiopia or something, they're talking about a huge, amazing. We've just got acclimated to it. And so they are blaming God on every front. Right now, the, the climate change and the fuel thing, everything is a blame against God that he put us down here on earth, if he did. That's the mocking. And he can't provide for his own. He can't take care of us. Well, we just hadn't seen all his supply yet. We just hadn't seen everything yet because it's no need for it yet. But I guarantee you he can take care of every person that's born on the earth. He can take care of us and he can do it in fine style. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I can handle this. So, uh, uh. So what they're doing here is just what happens to you when you get in trouble is they begin to oppose the word that you begin to stand on. In other words, it's called kick you when you're down. All of a sudden you're in a crisis, you're in a crux, you're in a, you're in a press point, and all of a sudden you're just handling everything you can, and then people come out of the woodwork. Say Job's friends, that's what we could say. They come out of the woodwork and start accusing. Well, the reason you're having this trouble is because of this and that. And I've always known you were sorry, no good. And I always know, knew this and had that. And, and even your wife might come up and say, curse God and die. 
All this stuff is classic. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So it's been going on a long time. He was a contemporary of Abraham. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which is way down the road. Yay. And so Revelation is what we have to have. Let me just tell you, when trouble comes, when distress comes, when uh, pressure comes, we need revelation. Because in trouble, you see what you see. But you got to see something besides what's being shown. You have to have something from the inside. So that means before the trouble comes, you got to be tethered to somebody that's got this. Well, I think the one that says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That'd be the one that would, you'd want to have a red phone, a speed dial. Hey, I'm on speed dial here with the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I got troubles and I'm on speed dial because it's bad. And it's fixing to get worse exponentially. Things go slow when God's seemingly when God's answering your prayer. But when crisis comes, it happens in a moment of time. I'm preaching real good this morning. Hallelujah. So we got to have revelation. Uh, pressure wipes out most people because they have, no, they have no root in themselves. Mark chapter 4 says they have no root in themselves. So after a little persecution, after a little trouble, they melt like a snowflake. Do you all know any snowflakes? Oh, the sky is falling all the time for them and they can't handle anything. They're snowflakes. The least trouble, they live in under the, they, any kind of pressure causes them to look for some way to cope. They, they'll, they'll stay home and cry. They'll take Valium. They'll take drug. They, they'll, they'll just not show up at work. They're snowflakes. But that is the world. The whole world is a snowflake. There's just some tough guy exteriors, but on the inside, they're wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. But you and I are not so. I said we're not so because we're tethered, we're tied to him that has overcome the world. So Elisha, in this story, Elisha is that man. He's not getting ramped up. He's just heard the story about the woman that is upset because they can't eat the other mama's baby. How gross, how terrible, how bizarre, how archaic, how, how neandral, can you say that word? How basic can you get? Well, I don't think what the word is, but it's base nature to eat your kids. You, you, just, you just die. You just say, we're going to starve, we're going to die, but we're not eating any kids. You just, you, there's another answer, but they'd apparently gotten there. So some melt and they conform to the pressure. And that's when we do things that we thought we'd never do. Pressure magnifies. Pressure makes bigger what's small. It makes it look big because the pressure's on, the timing. Timing, well, we're going to die by tomorrow. Let's do something today. And you do things, you jump, not thinking there's an answer from God and not thinking he will sustain it. And this is where enduring, enduring comes. It's where people go into cope mode. They begin to just shut down. They, they, they blame God, so they're not going to him because if a good God was really good, if he loved us, why would he let this happen to us? So they develop a whole other theology. Let me tell you, it's always been there, but then all of a sudden it gets big. God does care, but he, he cares that the remedy to that is faith. If he was going to care because of need, he wouldn't be in the United States. 
Because we at our lowest point, our SNAP people, our, our, our uh, dependent people, our aged, are nothing like they are overseas, like they are in the world. They're just, it's, it's so, so, well, anyway, you get it. So, uh, but some people come to themselves, like the prodigal. He was in crisis. He'd been away. He'd spent all his father's money. All of a sudden, there was a famine. He went into the, uh, the pig pen, and he wasn't getting it there. He was dying. And it, the Bible says he came to himself and said, and what he said was, as the light came in, he said, I just had a thought. Well, he could have had this thought days before, but crisis brought him to revelation. How many of y'all know that's who we are? We, we don't look outwardly. We look inwardly. Greater is he that is in me than this trouble that I'm going through. There is an answer. There is an end. There is a remedy for my situation. It is not personal, and it is not unique to me. The devil hates everybody, and so he's just got me right in the crosshairs. It's not personal. Everybody, listen, I'm alive today because the devil couldn't kill me. If he could have, he would have. If he could, he would. Because I'm dangerous. Are you dangerous? Oh, we are one dangerous bunch. Not so much what we've done, but what we're getting ready to do. We are dangerous. So let me ask you this question. Here's, the, here's all this story. It means nothing unless we know what the remedy is. What is the remedy? Why did God scatter the enemy? Well, we've got to read more about the enemy. Let's go on. Let's, uh, we're in verse uh, 3. Now, here's some boys that had it tougher than even what we've read about. It said there was four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. They're on the outside. And they said one to another, why sit we here till until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, they were lepers. They can't come into the public, can they? Then the famine's in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. So now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians, and if they save us alive, do y'all hear what have we got to lose going on here? If we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the, ho ah, the, Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots. Sounds like the pathway that nobody knew was there. Sounds like the coin in the fish's mouth. Sounds like the oil that poured into every vessel. Sounds like manna coming every day. Sounds like, sounds like the ram in the thicket, uh, the, the tree. Sounds like the Bible. Sounds like God. And so we'll go over there. For the Lord made, ah, he even took credit for it. The Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said to one another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the Egyptians, to come upon us. Wherefore, <laughs> point to the scripture in your Bible right there, verse 7, say, this is me. Come on, this is me. When trouble, when pressure, when distress comes, he has overcome the world. It's tribulation. It is pressure. It is distress. It's real. You don't have the rent check and the power bill. It's real. 
It's, it's real numbers there, and there is no... Mama's already... You already called her last week, and she said, don't call me no more. That's it. We're done. I can't pay your stuff anymore. Don't call me anymore. And when they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent <laughs> and did eat and drink. It was a good tent. And carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. Now, the reason they had all this is because they had pillaged other, other cities. And so, you know, it's not like they were carrying this stuff around for provisions. It was their booty that was their, their, their uh, plunder, their, their loot uh, from other cities. And uh, so they entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they went back to camp. And, and it's a great story. It, it ends well. Remember when Joseph was in the pit, in the dungeon? He was there anywhere from 13 to 20 years. 13 to 20 years. He probably wasn't but 16 or 18 when he went in. He, in those days, if you were 30 or 40, you were, you were an advanced age. You were, you were on your way. So he's down there whiling away his life. But he's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's honoring God. One day he gets to interpret the, king, uh, the king's dream. And boom, he went from being a prisoner in the dungeon to being the prime minister over the greatest nation at that time. Sounds like the coin in the fish's mouth. Sounds like the ram in the bush. Ah, it just sounds like God. Well, did it happen fast? It did not happen fast. Did this happen fast? They were hungry. They were real hungry. Well, Lord, we, we've missed a meal or 17. But they had to stay with it. If you want to win in a crisis or a tribulation, you've got to stay with it. So what, is, what caused all this deliverance? Let's go back in verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Put your eyes on verse 1. Elisha said... Hear ye the word of the Lord. So let's put that in first person and say Jesus instead of Elisha. Say it with me. And Jesus says, hear ye the word of the Lord. Right there. I just gave you the remedy to your trouble, your distress, your, your problems, your pressure. Hear ye the word of the Lord. There is no answer. You go, well, I'll just ride this out. Most of the time, your tribulation, your pressure, your distress doesn't go down. It goes up. Now, we've had some that go down. The reason some of them go down is because the devil just, he's hustling us so that we'll think that the next time. And then he can get you and take this thing to the end and take us out. So did did God scatter the enemy because he wanted to save the king or because he wanted to destroy the, the Syrians or he wanted to save the, per, the people or that he just wanted to enhance his reputation? Nope. He kept his word that there is always an answer to every problem in Jesus. Always. 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 
Say it with me. Always. Well, I've been in some pretty good stuff that there wasn't. You weren't in baby-eating days. You weren't in a brick of gold for a, a bitter herb. You've never been in these days. We're Americans. There's a program for that. There's a remedy to that. There's a check for that. Let's see, we got just a minute. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll just stay here a minute. 1 Samuel, is that left or right of Kings? That's, that's left. 1 Samuel, you know this story so well, but we're going we're gonna to nail it. Hear ye the word of the Lord. The word is light, and when we turn to the word, we get light. Light is the only path out from trouble. There's a, there's a, you're underground, you're in a cave, water's rising, you know, whatever. And then somebody sees a little hole to the outside world and everybody scrambles through it. But until then, you're dead meat. You're, you're not making it. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is David and Goliath. Look in verse 10. You know the story. David is going to visit his brothers that are in the army of Saul. And Goliath and the Philistines have come out and sent their, their mighty man out to defy the army of Saul and say, rather than all of us die, you die, we die, send out your best man, we'll send out our best man, and whatever happens between them, the other side will just go into slavery to the other team. And they were wrestling with that and having a hard time. Saul was a wimp because he had broke covenant with God and he wasn't with God. He had, no, he had no faith. And so David is just coming in there to bring some cheese and some snacks. And it said, the Philistine said, verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Yay. Look in verse 25. Let's get this thing out of the way. The men of Israel said to David, have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter, hope she's pretty, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, <laughs> Say again, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And taketh away the reproach from Israel. Now, y'all may not think this is the lottery, because it doesn't have a million on the end of it. But to David, this was the lottery. I mean, this was like mega millions or whatever they, Powerball. I've heard that term, Powerball. And they're all saying, it'll be like Powerball if anybody kills this giant. Well, everything you can think of, the king will bring it to you. So he asked again, say what? And taketh away the reproach from Israel, for who is this un circumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, you got to, in order to bring the word of the Lord into your life, you got to know it's out there. you got to be looking for it. Okay, where's the answer? There is an answer. Now, family, I'm telling you something. There's always an answer, but you got to know there's always an answer. You got to fight for it. You got to contend for it. You got to stand for it. Having done all the stand, you got to stand for the word of the Lord. The light's got to shine in or it's dark in there. And trouble has come. 
Now, I have somebody in my life, and you ought to have somebody in your life. Here's the key. If God wanted to send you the light, and he had to send it by a person because you're not hearing from God, you're losing your mind because of the distress, the trouble, the pressure. You're, you're losing it. You're wonked out, and you, you can't hear anything from heaven. And besides, you wouldn't know if it was that or not. You wouldn't. That's just me, people say. They get the word of the Lord, but they, I don't know. So if God was going to send you a messenger, he was going to send you the word of the Lord. He was going to bring you deliverance by somebody that's outside of your circle, your trouble circle. Who would he send? Would he send your parents? Nah. Mostly that would be no. Are you all with me? Would he send a co-worker? That's. Just as carnal as, uh, you know what I mean. Who would he send? Do you have someone that you're going, listen, I'm submitted to you. You're not my boss. You're not my Lord. You're not my master. But I'm going to say that if, if God needs to talk to me, he'll talk to you and you can talk to me. Please come visit. Now, I have somebody in my life like that. I've always put myself in a position, and it takes, it takes some wrangling because you, you have to give and take to get that. You can't be el macho or el muchacho or whatever they are when, when you got to say, let's go eat dinner. Let me get you into my life. Let me bring you a gift. Let me, let me say some nice things about you. I don't mean carnal things, but you, you enter into a relationship so that when you get in trouble, and the only thing that can save you is the word of the Lord. God's got somebody that can deliver it. That's why the church is under assault. There is a man, there is somebody here that God could send. And you speak the truth in love. You just say, listen, I'm here and I love you. And I've proved I've loved you. I've, we've helped you with your kids. We brought diapers to your newborn. We threw a shower for this. We, uh, we love the pastor does that. Y'all say amen or I'll get my feelings hurt. Hallelujah. You go, well, you had not done that for me. You didn't need it. We're supposed to be in this church or in the family. We're supposed to be self-sustaining in the sense of we hear the word of the Lord all the time and we reckon with it. Thus saith the Lord, pay your tithe. Yes, sir. But if you get outside of that, if you get into a trouble that's, that's really on you, you need someone that God says that you can say, he could send so-and-so. But if you, if you rack your brain, if you go through the whole list and, no, I don't want them coming, I don't want them coming, then it's got to be what the Bible calls a donkey. Y'all know the story about Balaam and the donkey, where the Lord couldn't send anybody, but he had the donkey, donkey talk. And whatever language... Balaam talked, he, the donkey knew it. It was one of his dialects or whatever. Probably had an accent. It's not advice. It's not, well, maybe you could try this. It's got to be the word of the Lord. I have received the word of the Lord before, and it changed everything. I've been through some tribulations, some pressure, some trouble. I've been through it, not, not self-induced, not... But the devil, the devil, I told you, the devil would kill me if he could. Well, he's tried. And in those trials, you get under it. You get under it. It's just you're under it. And you don't know pressure has come, and you don't know what to believe. 
You can't gain any more faith because your faith's under siege. And so somebody comes and says, thus saith the, the, thus saith the Lord. About this time tomorrow, flour will be cheap. It'll probably be a little different to you and me when it comes, but it's along those lines. And it's the word of the Lord. It saves you. It's the path out. It's the, it's the little hole in the cave. It's the, it's, it's the coin in the fish's mouth. It's the ram in the thicket. It's the pathway nobody knew was there. It's everything. Oh, that's good preaching. I'm real proud of that. 20, verse 20, let's look in verse 30. Oh, my, we've got to quit here. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. So they just kept telling him. The man who takes out Goliath wins the lottery. Powerball is, it's here. Would you like it before taxes are out? Would you like it in 20 payments or would you like it all up front? Y'all know the drill. No, he says it's going to be as good as it can be in our time, in our generation, our culture. You get the queen's daughter. Apparently, it's not just pretty girl. Apparently, you get a seat at the, at the table of the king and other things when you bring her. It's the best it can be. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to, listen, listen. He's not just bringing you back to where you were. Listen, when he saves us, he puts us in a higher place. Well, I ought to get in trouble all the time so I can go to a higher place. You don't have to go to trouble to get to a higher place. You get the light voluntarily. You just say, well, it says to do this. I shall. That's light. That's revelation. Did you know in, in, in the epistles, it tells Christians not to steal? Don't steal anymore. You go, that ought to be obvious. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's to the church. Don't steal anymore. I know some Christians that you say, that'd be a good word for them. Hallelujah. So David, now here's the, here's the point. When you want to go further, faster and further, you accept responsibility, you accept pressure, that doesn't belong to you. You understand, David wasn't looking for a girlfriend. David was good. He was good. He was happy. He was, him and Jesus were, were, were best buds. He'd already whipped the lion. He'd already taken out the bear. And this was no big deal. But he accepted pressure and responsibility that wasn't his. I'm just going to tell you, River Church, and anybody that's out there, that's your calling. It's not just to be in the defensive mode and it says, well, when it comes, I've got both guns loaded and we're going to see what we can do. Ah, that's no big deal. That's not even your life to defend who you are. Your my job and my job is to go out there and defend somebody else. Right now, we're contending for Alabama. We're contending for the United States. I'm doing just fine. How about you? But, but my nation, my president, my Supreme Court... What they do is going to affect a lot of people, so I'm accepting responsibility that's not necessarily mine. It is, but I mean day to day. And I'm, going, I'm putting my life on the line for my nation, for River Church. I mean, if you leave here, we're not going to all fall down. We're going to really hate it. We don't want you to, and we're, we enjoy your, your gifting and your company, but lots of people have left. We call them come and gone. And we're still here. But I'm accepting responsibility for every single person in the church. I've even got the people that haven't been in years. But I know if their dog dies, they're going to call me and say, would you do preppy service? 
or whatever. I'm kidding there, of course. I've done lots of things like that where you slide in and help people that you hadn't seen in years, but I'm their pastor. I'm the only one they got. Well, I'm glad to do it. Same thing for you and me. Personal responsibility. He that is faithful over a few things, master over many things. That's what it says in Luke 16. Uh, but on the other hand, it says, if you've not been faithful over that which is another man's, how will he give you what is yours? That's in 16.12, Luke 16.12. Uh, who shall give you that which is your own? So the way, the way out of pressure is to take on responsibility for somebody else. So if you prayed for this service this morning, if you gave any kind of anything, if you gave in the offering this morning, if you smiled at me while I'm preaching to you, <laughs> you you're in. You're in because you don't have to do any of that. But you're in because you took responsibility for something that wasn't directly yours, and God likes that, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. And we, we defend ourselves against the devil, the adversary, the trouble that's in this world when we go on the offense and start saying, everything's fine today. I'm blessed. I got up happy. I feel good. I got plenty of money. My girl, is she's, she's winking at me across the room during breakfast. You know, everything's good. And you go, I must go read the word and I must pray. In other words, it's not just bunker theology. It's go fight win. And that's what makes real Christians strong. Amen. I say there's always a way to win in Jesus. I say there's always a way. Difficult? Oh, yeah. Hard? Absolutely. Impossible? Never. It's hidden, but for every trouble, there's a hidden, a corresponding hidden answer. You just hadn't seen it yet. Why, if we saw it up front, we'd never trust God. We'd never call on God. We'd never have to have somebody in our life to come to us. If we could always just see the answer, I'll just call Mama. She'll send me $100. Now, Mama's cut you off. You, you can't even come to dinner now. You're so cut off. <laughs> she turns your mail. She sends your mail back. <laughs> ah, Because you, you've been bad to the bone. Oh, you know those people, don't you? Not y'all. So when that's happened, when you're at the end of your natural means of getting out, you got to just hunker down and say, Lord, I need a word. Send me somebody. Have me open up the word and find it. Let me read a book or whatever. Send me to the book. Now, I've done that. I've got to go now, but I've done that. I've bought books, and I thought, this is the cat's meow. This is the dog's bark. This is just what I need. And you go through, and you read one chapter, and it's like, ah. You put it on the shelf. But then down the road, it becomes that friend that brings you light. You go in there and take that book off, and all of a sudden, it's the answer to your situation. Y'all are here? Amen. So any way you cut it, any way you slice it, any way you do it, we win. We got to know, we got to think right, but we win. Who doesn't win? Those that are on their own. In the world, you have tribulation, and there's pressure, and there's distress, and there's trouble. And you go, well, what's the other end of it? Distress and pressure and trouble. What's the other end of that? Distress. It's never ending. It just never ends. 
But it ends for us. It ends for us. Faith ends it. Now, there's another one coming, but we, it'll just end like this one end. Money troubles, you'll always have to believe God for your money until you get to heaven. But you'll always have to be pressed for your money. You go, well, I'll make more. Well, he's going to ask you for more. Your heart's going to say, I want to help. So you'll always have to believe for money. You'll always have to believe God for your body. Nobody gets to the place. Now, you get into divine life, but even then, that's a place of faith. Let's just go there. Well, how can I go there? Ah, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We, we just go there. We just, we, we just show up at, on Sunday morning church. Did y'all do that? Well, yeah. So we're going there. That thing builds into us a strength, a courage, a resilience, a, a thing that just says, I don't like when the devil comes, but I'm not afraid of him. I can whip him left and I can whip him right. Amen. Amen. So I have a word for, uh, for you this morning, and the word is uh, fear. I got up this morning, and uh, uh, the word of the Lord that came to me for this service was fear not. Point yourself with me and say, hey, you, fear not. In no circumstance, go to, go to fear. No circumstance, go to fear. So I have someone for the uh, word of the Lord for somebody. If you got fear, let me tell you how fear works. And then we'll go. People get old, older, and they get fearful. And so people assume that older people have got more trouble, less means, less physical ability, less mentality, and they become susceptible and they get fearful. But I tell you, that's not the truth. Fear has to be eradicated and dealt with when you're young. What happens when you get older is you just lose your natural uh, courage or boldness as a young person or as a younger person. You just have resilience. You just say, I can outlast this. It'll, be hurt. It'll hurt, but I can do it. But when you're old, you have less options. Older. So you got to get rid of it when you're young. Don't be an old person that's fearful. And that's the word of the Lord this morning. If you've got fear in your life, if you, if you are anticipating or always on the edge of your seat about what's coming next, you need to get rid of that. One way to do it is put on faith. The way you put on faith is you go to the word of God. You listen to broadcasts like this and you, you sit under the word. Fear will dissipate. But the spirit of fear has to be dealt with. And you can do that. If you're born again, you just tell yourself, self, you're free of fear. And you just tell spirit of fear, you're not living here anymore. I saw, I heard this morning who you are and I cut you off. That's not based on circumstances. I mean, you can be, when that thing's come, you won't cross the street. Because it's unreasonable. It's irrational. It's, it's completely baseless. Spirit of fear. Get free of the spirit of fear. I speak to it right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of fear. You must bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus on everyone that is dealing with the spirit of fear. And I say, be free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woohoo! Ah, oh, don't you love the word? And we're getting out by 12. Ah, <laughs> oh, there's no downside to this. Amen. Thank you for tuning in this morning. We'll, we'll see you next week. Praise God.